praise you. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. The one beyond, greater, bigger than we could ever even comprehend. Lord, our hearts are full of praise for all you've done for us and for who you are, the core of your character, a love for your people. We worship you and honour you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please be seated. It's um, great to be with you this morning. And um, yeah, as we continue, if, if you're new to us, we've been in a series in uh, the 23rd Psalm, a really well-known Psalm of David. And today we come to the last verse of that psalm, uh, verse 6. And I want to start off just with a quote. We can just reflect on this quote about hope. You may have heard it. It says, Man can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but only for one second without hope. It's true, isn't it? If we, if we have no hope, uh, we give up. Whether it be in a football game, whether it be in a, a relationship, a situation at work, if there is no hope, we would give up. A Harvard Medical School professor, Jerome Groupman, uh, saw this need for hope so clearly as he diagnosed patients and shared uh, the news about the diseases that they were suffering with, all of them looking to him with a longing for hope. He says, basically, I think the ho that hope is the ability to see a path to the future. You're facing a challenge and you need to know everything that is blocking or threatening you. Then you see a path or a potential path to get you where you want to be. And once you see that, there's this tremendous emotional uplift that occurs, this doctor shares. There's, there's hope, there's a future, things can get better. He goes on to say, I think hope has been, is, and always will be at the heart of medicine and healing. We could not live without hope, he says. We still come back to this profound human need to believe that there is possibility to reach a future that is better than the one we have in the present. We need hope. Just this week, my wife was on Facebook and she's part of this large community on Facebook of this group. And there was one lady commenting on this Facebook page as a response to the Are You OK campaign. My wife saw her response and she said, well, I'm not okay, and she announced that to the Facebook group. After many encouraging comments went back to her, and I'm sure private messages as well, she then puts up publicly and says, I guess I'll be okay. Tomorrow is another day and I'll just get up and I'll try harder. It's really all we can do, isn't it? That was her response. My wife was gutted and she thought, well, and maybe you think today as well. Is that all we have? Is that our only hope to just try harder? Life is tough. There's all sorts of things that we go through, curveballs thrown at us. But what we really need is a hope that goes beyond our weakness, 
a hope that goes beyond our inabilities, a hope that's beyond our insecurities, and a hope that is totally and completely beyond us. It's greater than us. We need that type of hope. And this is the hope that we find in this Psalm 23, but particularly we see as David shares in this last verse in 6, the culmination of the psalm. We've been reading this psalm together, so we'll do that again this morning. Psalm 23, would you read with me as we read it out fully? The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me just read that last verse that we will look at today. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As I've read and reread this verse throughout this week, I'm convinced that with this scripture and the promises within the word, God has called us to be the most hope-filled people on earth. Truly. And understand me in this. It's not that we don't go through struggles. It's not that we don't go through trials. Even this week, I've found myself preaching these verses to myself, aligning myself with truth aligning myself with hope. And that's what David did throughout the Psalms. You'll see as he goes through incredible circumstances, the ups and downs throughout his life, you see in the Psalms him bearing his soul but also preaching truth to himself. In Psalm 43, 5, we read, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour, and my God. There's this, this call to put our hope, for David to put his hope in God. And the, the start of this verse, the first thing we notice is the word surely. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Surely. In David's heart and his mind, he doesn't say, well, Actually, I think God's love and mercy and goodness will follow me. I think it will. I, like, I'm pretty confident that it's going to follow me. He doesn't say, there will be times. There will be times when God's goodness and his love and mercy will follow me. He doesn't say that. David here says, surely, surely, as sure as anything, I know that God's love and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And this is where we see a difference between a biblical understanding of hope and just a general definition of hope. If we use a general definition of hope, I might say, I really hope it rains. 
A few weeks ago, actually, I hoped Australia would win against England in the Rugby World Cup quarterfinals. I, I hoped, I did. I, I didn't have a lot of confidence, but I did hope that they would beat England in the quarterfinals. And then just across the ditch, a week later, there was this whole nation of New Zealanders that hoped, they hoped that the All Blacks would beat England in the rugby semi-final. And they had a lot more confidence than I did because they were world champions. They were um, the, the, the ranked number one in the world, but they also lost to England. And last night, even some among us were some South Africans, and they hoped... They hoped that South Africa would beat England in the World Cup final last night. And they did. Yeah, I've got to cheer for that, I'm sure. There are a lot of South Africans among us. But what I'm saying is we hope. We hope, and it means that circumstances could happen, it might not happen, but that is not the biblical definition of hope. Here, David is saying, surely... Surely, as anything, it is going to happen. I can trust in God. When in 1 Peter 1 verse 13, it says, Hope fully in the grace that is coming to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter does not mean just hope and maybe it will happen. The New Testament definition, the biblical definition of hope is full assurance that God will do what he has said he will do. That is hope, biblical hope. And so when David says, goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives, it is not sometimes, it is not maybe, it is not just on our good days we can expect it, no. God's goodness, his mercy and grace will follow you. It is following you. As you walk out of here today, it will follow you. It did yesterday, it will tomorrow, it will every day. Does that mean things will be all rosy and perfect? No, but will God's goodness, will his mercy and his love be with you and following you? Yes, it will. Every day of your life, on your good days, on your bad days. You might say say to me, is is there conditions on this? Is there conditions that... Is it only when I tick all the boxes that God's goodness and love will follow me? What happens if I'm a wandering sheep? Does that promise no longer extend to me? Well, it's not true. And we see that when we look at the word, the Hebrew word for mercy here is called hesed. Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I can read up on these things. It's a technical word, this word hesed of mercy or God's goodness or love. Uh, we see here, and it's in connection with covenant relationship. It's a mercy and um, grace that's shown because of a covenant, because of a commitment, because of a promise to someone. And the best illustration or story I can give here is actually found in 2 Samuel 9. Uh, King David, who wrote this psalm, he has become king, he's he's beaten his enemies, he's enthroned as king, and he he has this strange question Uh, when he comes to the throne. He says to his people, he said, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show Heset for Jonathan's sake? 
Usually a king, when he's enthroned, would kill everyone from the previous king's family because they become a threat to the throne. But here David is saying, who can I show hesed? Who can I show mercy to? Because if you read earlier, he has made this promise promise to his good friend Jonathan that I will show mercy and grace to your family. It was a covenant promise that they made. And so the story goes on that um, David discovers Jonathan has a son called Mephibosheth. This, this guy had been crippled since the age of five and he's living in fear of the king outside of Israel and he's a member of um, Saul's family that David calls in to show Heset to show grace and love and mercy. Now you can imagine Mephibosheth there in his home, living in fear of the king. One day the king's going to come and that's going to be the end of my life. They knock on the door and they call him to the king. And as he comes to David, David says, do not fear. And in that moment, David says, I will give you all of your grandfather's King Saul possessions. This is a wealthy king, you have it all. I will give you all of Saul's land. I will give you it all. And then he says to him, you will now eat at my table. You will eat at my table as if you were my son. Now Mephibosheth should have been an enemy of David. He would have been expected to be killed and then all of this grace and mercy have been poured out upon him where he's eating at the king's table. And interestingly, it says at the end of that, the last verse in that passage, it says, um, let me just read it, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, and it just says there, he was crippled in both feet. This picture of this man who had received extraordinary grace and mercy, not because of something he had done. He couldn't serve in Saul's army, he couldn't even serve within the, as a servant. But David had given him extraordinary grace to be in that place. And this is the basis of God's grace and mercy to us. Not that we deserve it, but because of a covenant promise that God has made to his people. It is totally disconnected from anything we will ever do, but he loves us. It's about God's character in wanting to pour out mercy and grace to us. And actually, if we look at this verse, it's not that grace and mercy and his loving kindness will just follow us. It actually says it will pursue us. It's active. He will pursue us with this grace and mercy. If you can imagine with me that you were driving to the Sunshine Coast, you were on the highway, and then you're on the highway and you look up, you look in your revision mirror, and all of a sudden you see green and red flashing lights. Now, you would never ever do this, but for some strange reason you make this decision, I'm just going to run. I'm just going to step on the gas and I'm going to take on and run away from this policeman. And the policeman pursues, and all of a sudden you begin to, to think of the guilt You begin to think of the fine that you might get. You think of the court cases, maybe jail as you run from the police. The police pull you over, and then as the policeman walks to your window, they come to you and say, you've got a bit of a guilty conscience there, I see. Um, Here is your wallet. (laughs) 
that you left at the service station before. Thank you very much. This policeman was pursuing you to give grace and mercy, determined to give grace and mercy, not judgment and condemnation. This is the the picture we have of a God who is pursuing us, that is for us and not against us, and wanting to pour out grace and mercy into our lives. So if we're um, dealing with a difficult situation in our work environment, you know, in that place, you know that God's grace, his loving kindness and mercy are pursuing you. He will help you in that situation. If it's a situation in the home, maybe you've been up all night with the kids, you're not getting sleep, well, God's grace, his love and his mercy are with you in that situation. Maybe you've received bad news for the doctor. Whatever the situation is, you can know it is a promise that surely God's grace His goodness and mercy are following you this day. And in this psalm, as we look at that, there's some powerful promises. Even in that, we know that we have suffering and trials. There's pain in this world, but we still see, even in the midst of God being with us and helping us in it, there is a sense that there is something that is still not quite right. There's a longing for something more than this as we look out into our world and we see the brokenness of it. Actually, Romans 8.22 speaks of this when it says even creation groans and cries out. It says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. There's something more, there's something wrong with our world. Internally, we are longing to be free, we are longing to be happy, we are longing to be completely fulfilled, we are longing to be free from pain and suffering. I love this quote from St. Augustine. He says, It's the decided opinion of all who use their brains that all men desire to be happy. He's saying... Anyone that's got a brain will know as they look that men, all people, want to be happy, he says. There's a universal longing and search for this in our broken world. C.S. Lewis writes, If I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most plausible explanation is that I was made for another world. Let me read that again. If I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most plausible explanation is that I was made for another world, heaven. (laughs) And that's where David goes. The culmination of this whole journey of Psalm 23 culminates with him saying, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the culmination. Dwelling in the presence of God because we were created for something more. You were created to know God intimately. This is a broken world. This is a place where we will be for a short time, but there in heaven we will experience all that God has for us. And that is why we have the brokenness. That is why we have the hopelessness in this world, the the longing, because there is something more for us, eternity with God forever and ever. 
Now, these concepts can blow our minds. Have you ever thought about eternity? How do you grab hold of eternity? You might look at as far as east as from the west, that there's this whole long stretch of cord and the time on earth we spend is just this tiny bit. One I heard, I just read recently, if you look at the size of the earth, 13,000 kilometres in diameter, I, I read that it's one trillion cubic kilometres in volume. That, that's the volume of the earth. Now, I want you to imagine with me that that one trillion cubic kilometres is filled with bird seed. Just, just hang with me here. <laughs> How many seeds would there be? Gazillion, I don't know. Infinity. Then you just think that there's a bird that every thousand years it will just take one of those seeds. Another thousand years it'll take another one of those seeds. Another thousand years it'll take another one of those seeds. That's, that's three seeds gone. And when all of those seeds were gone, eternity is just starting. Just ever and ever. And, and what are we going to do there? Where are you going to spend eternity? All of that time. And here we see David has this confidence that he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God's people, that's where we will be. That's what we're created for. That's what eternity is. With God. You know, God is complete in himself. He has endless pleasure, deep joy and happiness. And this is where that desire from us comes because we are created in his image. That is what we're created for. C.S. Lewis said, God not only understands but shares this desire for our complete and ecstatic happiness. It's a good desire to have. We've been created to have that. The unsatisfied desire in us for this deep desire, for heaven's lasting, eternal, deep pleasure and joy is fulfilled in heaven. This deep joy that we're created for. And just some practical aspects of heaven you may or may not have considered. The first thing the Bible speaks about is that we will have a new body. I'll just read 1 Corinthians 53 to 55, um, sorry, verse chapter 15. It says, For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. Our bodies will be immortal in this sense. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your string? sting? We will have a new resurrected body as Jesus had a resurrected body, the first one to be res resurrected. The Bible also speaks of a new heaven and a new earth. Let me read from Revelation. It says, in uh, chapter 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first er heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. A new earth that we will live in. It's not like we'll be in heaven just be floating around like spiritual beings. We will have a new body. We'll live on a new earth, perfected and perfect, and we'll even have roles and jobs to play within it. But I don't want to focus on the physical aspect. I want to focus on the reality that God will be there. 
David says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Dwelling with God. Verse 3 to 5 in that Revelation passage says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. How do we get our heads around that? God's dwelling place is now among the people, among us. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. As true as I stand here today, I believe this is reality. This will be the reality. Eternity with him. We can't comprehend it. Augustine said that God himself will be our reward in that sense, in that time. He says, as there is nothing greater or better than God himself, God has promised himself What else can be meant by his word, I will be your God and you will be my people? Then I shall be their satisfaction. I shall be all the people honorably desire. Life, health, nourishment, satisfaction, glory, honor, peace and all good things. This too is the right interpretation of the apostle, he says, that God may be all in all. God shall be the end of all of our desires who will be seen without end loved without glory and praised without weariness. God will be our reward. We'll have every desire within us fulfilled in him because this is the relationship we've always been created for. Let me just read 1 Corinthians 13, 12, which says, Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God knows me completely. You think of the greatest experience of God, of intimacy with God you have ever had. Maybe just in in time of worship you have sensed God's love. Maybe it's a time when you just spent... um, Uh, experience his forgiveness and the freedom that comes from guilt being taken away. Maybe it's when you've you've been in nature and you see his majesty and his power and you see how great he is and that your life is in his hand. Just think of that greatest experience and it is nothing. It's saying here that it's just a puzzling reflection in the mirror. It's just partial or incomplete. Nothing compared to what we will then see when we are with God Face to face. My wife Nat was pregnant with our twins. Um, Because of having twins and extra complications, we had to have scans every two weeks from 16 weeks onwards. And we would see these um, scans as twins there. It was very interesting when we saw the scans the first time and saw two of them there rather than one. That was another story. But we saw these scans and there we would be just staring at them, twisting our head different ways, trying to understand where the body was and and what we could make out within them. We were infatuated by these two little um, boys growing in Natalie's womb. But the reality is, is as interested as we were in them, as, as valuable as they were to us, 
They were basically unknown to us, those boys, at that point. They were just simple, simply grey images on a black background. But then Jono and Michael were born. Suddenly they were living, they were moving, they were crying, hungry. They needed us, they were beautiful, they were tiny, they were adorable. They continued to grow up and now um, they run, they jump, they kick, they tackle. They now talk, they now read, they now write us stories, they tell us stories, they tell us our highlights of their day, they tell us what they like, they tell us what they don't like. Back in 2013, we knew the existence of these boys. We saw the ultrasounds and it was so precious to us and valuable to us, but now, now we know these boys face to face. Now we interact with them intimately. And now knowing these boys, I have never gone back, actually until last night, I've never gone back to look at those scans because I know them now completely. I'd never even thought of looking at them, the scans. And you know, the most pleasurable experience of God that we might have now, the best of the best experiences that we have of God now, are only an ultrasound image compared to the living, interacting intimacy that we will experience with him in heaven. How good is that? That is hope. Is that hope? It's incredible. We will dwell in his house forever and ever and ever with every desire in us fulfilled because he created us that way. And our intimacy with God at the best of our moments is still just black and white images to compare to that ecstatic union that we can't imagine or fathom. And it's not only that we will have God there, but it's also will, what will not be there in heaven. No more death, no more sin, no more temptation, pain, tears, sin, evil, pride, insecurity, jealousy, anger, frustration, insult, shame, sickness, disease. We will be able to love people perfectly. Imagine that, just perfectly love people and be loved completely. In Jesus, we have a hope that has overcome the world. He's overcome sin. He's overcome death and the brokenness of this world and restored us, all those who put their trust in him, in him to the original purpose of living, complete intimacy with our God. This morning I want to finish with the story of a young boy named Zeke Holt. Zeke was a seemingly healthy young boy who walked, ran and laughed and played with his friends until the age of two when he was diagnosed with Batten's disease and sadly he passed away later as a four-year-old boy. Reflecting on this, his mum wrote a blog. She said, saying goodbye to my Zeke, reading scriptures to him, telling him over and over how much I loved him, how much of a blessing he was to me and to his daddy and siblings and all, he knew, all who knew him and of him, I told Zeke how much I felt honoured to be his mummy and I meant everything of it. I begged God to take him from this earth and back to Jesus as Zeke's suffering became overbearing to see at the end. But now, now I look forward to the day when I can hug a tall, handsome man 
not calling him my son but my brother, telling him how proud I am of him and how honoured I was to be his mother for even those four short years. I'll be on my deathbed anxiously waiting to see my saviour Jesus, my loving God and my so very strong Ezekiel Todd, the hope of eternity. His father, a pastor, wrote on his blog, Zeke is with Jesus. I'm jealous of them both. I'm jealous of Zeke because he gets to talk to Jesus. And I'm jealous of Jesus because he gets to talk to Zeke. For half of his life he suffered from seizures, but now, for eternity, his body has been made new, never ever to seize again. And a week later his father, Andy, was asked how their family could possibly be doing so well. And this is how the father responded. The only answer we have to this question is that we've found a hope that transcends death. This hope is rooted in Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. You know, this is a tragic story, a story of one of the most tragic experiences or circumstances one could ever imagine. Parents watching a young boy suffer and finally pass away at the age of four. Yet here, even in the most tragic of circumstances, we still see a real hope. Not a pie-in-the-sky idea, but a hope, a sure hope. A confidence because of Jesus and all he is and all he has done. A hope that transcends our earthly circumstances and extends into eternity. Here we have a couple who have experienced the goodness and mercy of God, pursue them within the tragedy and know that one day, along with their Zeke, that they will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If I can ask just the band to come. This is the hope that we have. A hope in Jesus. This is the culmination of what Psalm 23 is all about that there, there will be the day that we will be forever and ever spending time in the presence of God. When all the suffering of this world will fade, this is the hope. And just a short time, in a very short time, there we will be with Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that you are real. I want to thank you that you are perfect in every way. I want to thank you, God, that you are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the beginning and the end. And Lord, I want to thank you that there is purpose and hope in this life. And it can be found in you, our Creator and our Maker. And I want to thank you, God, that you have promised to follow us or to pursue us with your grace and your mercy. That is your heart for each one. And right now, I want to pray, Lord, for anyone just in difficult circumstances that they might know that grace and that mercy. And particularly that they know that that mercy and grace is from your heart. It's not anything they will ever do or can do, but it's your heart to love them. And Father, I want to pray that you help us to live as people of hope.
How can we ever comprehend the goodness of God and all that you have done for us in saving us, in rescuing us and redeeming us, that we will one day spend eternity with you in your presence. We worship you. We thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. If you stand and we'll sing this last worship song together. We're going to worship together as we sing this last song. It's been a really powerful series throughout this whole Psalm 23 series. And um, this last verse here, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. I want to give us an opportunity to respond to this word to us this morning and right across this whole series. And as we sing, we're going to sing of the goodness of God. But if you're here this morning and in your own heart, you just want to testify to the fact that God has been good that He has been kind, that He has been loving to you in your own life. As you look back over your life, and you're saying, God, I just want to declare that this morning. I just want to, I want to, in my own heart, respond and give you thanks for your goodness and love pursuing me all the days of my life. Then I want to invite you as we sing this song, just to respond in your heart, just to come and to worship at the front, just to come forward. As you do that, it's your own response. But it's actually, as you do that, you know, a testimony to others here. Test me to others of God's goodness and His love and His faithfulness. And that's you this morning, just as it comes, as we conclude this series, say, hey, that's me this morning. I, I want to just declare that in my own heart, and I want to be that a testimony for others. God's goodness, His love has pursued me all the days of my life. So as we sing of the goodness of God, if that's you this morning, you come. Just come and stand down along the front here and just worship Him with all your heart as your own response, as a testimony to others. And if you're here this morning as well, as others come and respond in worship, if you're here this morning and you've never yet known that person in your own heart, as Andrew shared about that, that personal assurance of, of an eternal life, a future in heaven, you can know that this morning too. We'd love you just to come as others come. Come and just grab one of the pastors and say, hey, I want to know that for myself. We'd love to give you a, a Bible gift pack. We'd love to pray for you this morning that you might be able to leave here this morning with that same assurance, that hope, that certainty that David speaks of in that psalm, you can know that this morning as well. So let's lift our voices as we worship together now. And you feel free to come, respond in worship as we declare and give thanks for His goodness and His kindness and His love to us. Let's worship together. Yes, we give thanks as we worship Him and honour Him this morning. Thank you for His goodness. Oh Lord, you hear the praises of your people this morning, great God. We thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love, for your mercy, your kindness that pursues us. And I pray that, Lord, for each and every one here this morning, great God, that as we leave this place, thank you for that truth that we share, Lord. Your, your goodness pursues us, Lord, in this very week ahead, Lord, into our future, certain, sure in you. We give you thanks, great God, for the hope that you have given to us. We praise you and worship you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Please be seated. Thanks so much for sharing with us this morning. If you'd like prayer, come down the front. Some of our prayer team will be here. They'd love to pray for you. If you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus as well, do come and share with us this morning. God bless.